Hi, I'm Mike Mitchell. Welcome to another episode of the Art of Outreach. Um, I'm the art director for Mount Pleasant Schools in historically rural Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. I'm also the director of community outreach for the Tennessee Art Education Association. I'm so excited about our guest today, Janie Giles Carp, who is a teacher at Community Montessori in Jacksonville, Tennessee. Janie, welcome. I'm sorry. Jackson. It's only Jackson, Tennessee. I'm sorry. Jackson, Tennessee. That's um, right. And uh, welcome to the podcast, Janie. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm so I, honored I, that you invited me. Did I say Jacksonville? Mm-hmm. I've got, I guess I have Florida on, on my, on my brain. I used to live near, near Jacksonville. Who, who wouldn't have Florida <laughs> on their brain? So in Jackson, <laughs> Tennessee, Montessori right. school, but it's a public um, school. So tell me a little bit about the school and then also how many kids you serve and then like grade band and all of those things. We are a public Montessori school and we combine traditional Montessori education with all the manipulatives and everything that goes with it, peace education included, along with an overlay all the um, state requirements and every um, objective that we're required to teach. So we, we kind of merge those two and uh, teach. Um, we, we hit everything we're supposed to, but we use different methods to do okay. it. And um, a classroom looks more like a home when you walk in. There's carpets, there's plants, there's each child has their own little workspace that's theirs. And it could be at a coffee table with a, a cushion that they sit on for their workspace or it could be you know an upholstered chair pulled up to a a table that looks like a dining table so you know everybody's space is a little different and just right for them and uh, everything's taught in small lessons there's three grade bands at a time first second third fourth fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth are middle school and we also have kindergarten and next year we're expanding to pre-K. So I teach as the art teacher for all of these students, 500 plus, um, K through eight students. So from five years old to, uh, how old are they when they get out of eighth grade? 15, 14, something like that. So, so that's the age levels that I teach. So. Wow. So you have 500 plus artists that you serve I do tell me a little bit about in the Montessori program so I don't know much about it at all other than you know what I know through pop culture where mm -hmm. it's either made fun of it's like it's yes. I feel like it's either just like made fun of in like a Simpsons episode or it is like revered to the cult status of the purist and there's like rarely the in-between of like what it really is like to be in one of those spaces. How does art, what, what do you feel is different about getting to be an art teacher in a Montessori space than might be in a regular public space, uh, public school in Jackson, Tennessee? Well, I can answer that because up until this year, I've worked in two different schools. One was a traditional school and then this school. So I would go back and forth week to week. And um, in a traditional setting, it's much more everybody uh, thinks they should do the same thing. 
and um, all the students do because that's what they're, everything's, uh, what could I say? It's all homogeneous. It's, it's all, yeah. they're expecting the same thing from all the first graders. You're talking about that final, the, the end project of a line, yes. line investigation is all going to look very similar. Right. And the students, if they don't end up everything looking very similar, they get upset with their self, mm-hmm. with themselves. So because that's kind of what's drilled into them and everything is is given to them in in just uh, the pieces that go with first grade. You know, everything's homogeneous in what they're how it's um, shown to them. And in Montessori, there's three different grade bands in one classroom. So there's, they see an enormous range of abilities and responses to every problem, not just in art class. So they're much more comfortable with being themselves and having a creative solution. And my background before art education was art therapy. So individual work and someone just showing who they are fully in their artwork is so important to me. And I can foster that here. And that I think it's wonderful when someone's artwork is very different from everyone else's, mm-hmm. you know, and I encourage them. And I, I can say, I really like how you did this, um, solve this problem. That's unique. I haven't seen that before. Can you tell me about that? Or what were you thinking when you did this? And there's a time to do that here because it's not quite so structured according to the time frame. It is very structured in that the uh, expectations for student behavior are very high and our students can tolerate a lot of ambiguity because they of the kind of environment they learn in. So it looks unstructured from the outside. You go in and everybody's doing their own thing. And you're like, I don't know about that. But it just appears that way. It's not really unstructured. It's very structured. So, but because of that, they can, within those very tight parameters of, of what they're required to do, they can be very creative. And that's welcomed and even celebrated. So I think that's the biggest difference And it's a real, I'll be honest, it's a challenge, especially first through third grade, because you've got a lot of developmental stages happening there Mm -hmm. Um, and abilities, fine motor abilities, cognitive abilities in that range to have a lesson that everyone can relate to. So that's fun, (laughs) but we manage it. And it's really one of the things I enjoy the most is coming up with, well, here's a challenge. You can also do this. What if, like we just studied Egypt, what if you were in hieroglyphic school and your classroom was on the edge of the Nile? What would your classroom be like today? You know, so I can be very creative in the prompts that I give um, to the students so they can think through those things and, and really reason some things out and be creative. And some, I have to be very, um, detailed with uh, because of their abilities where I literally get the light box out and teach them how to trace something. So I've got that whole range in one class and I love it. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you're um, truly differentiating for each kid that comes into your classroom, which is what we would all expect as humans. 
right? Like, yes. It's what we and, all and want. It, it's what we all want our bosses to do is like, sure. why doesn't she understand that I, my specifics of my, and if you have a good boss, I'm lucky right now because I have three, they do. Oh, I, it's totally understandable that you were running a little bit late. You have an hour and a half commute and you're going to be here late. You know, tonight I'm here late Friday night and then I'll be back Saturday night and then I'll be back Sunday for the performance, but I'm the art director. So that's an expectation. But mm -hmm. even though that's an expectation, people are still, they understand the humanity of like, oh, you're going to work. You're going to work straight through for 13 straight days in a row. Like that's a rough one. And people are like, oh yeah, whatever. You know, if you're, and so like we want that as adults, like why wouldn't, of mm -hmm. course, five-year-olds would also want that. Like, why doesn't she understand that? I don't care about the school on the Nile, right? Like I, I, but could I do hieroglyphics about like, if I were, you know, that, 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 that seems like that's a really interesting space to be is to actually truly differentiate. Um, in Knox County Public Schools, Dr. Heather Castile, who's the art director there, has created like a menu for oh, teachers nice. to help them to, to, to kind of just like scaffold the teachers through the process of doing what you're doing, which is that choice. Like she has no problem with you saying, tell me about what a school for hieroglyphics would look at like on the Nile. But she's pushing mm -hmm. much more to what you're talking about. And she wants it to happen in all Knox County public schools. So that if a student says, well, I need to do this in Sculpey, because I'm going to build my school on the Nile, like, because I'm a, like, I'm articulate with my hands, but not so much right. with like, drawing, but I can, like, build stuff, or I'm going to use my tablet that I have permission to use, and I'm going to take photographs, I'm going to do a really cool slideshow presentation about, like, the history. She built this really incredible, um, like, menu, and especially for, like, middle up through high school, she has performance mm -hmm. art sound art like she it is an extensive list of options about ways in which kids can explore that um i love the, that it's a really cool thing it looks almost like a restaurant menu it's like and then at the top it's like your meal is going to be it's going to have it's going to have carrots and it's going to have salad and it's going to have tofu but like how you put it together that's you you're the chef you know like here are the ingredients and so it's almost like yes. The, those BBC the baking shows, it's like, here's the stuff, make something out of it. Yes. Uh, I don't know how that gets implemented. I don't know how much pushback, but I know that as the arts director, that's her goal is to really build choice into that kids have this near unlimited amount of choice, but then the structure right the support to then make those choices kind of come into it. So it sounds like that's what you're doing there. And is it true that it is constantly a challenge or was it like a bunch of front loading first to kind of get used to it? And now you're just like, it's easier in years this year than it is, or is it just always going to be lots of work? Like, are there ways that you can kind of hack into that where you're like, Oh, even though I am differentiating for every single kid in the room, there's still some kind of the old way that I'm thinking that I can continue to kind of, modify to where I'll also get to this spot where it makes the makes it a little easier. Have you figured that part out yet? Well, I tell you what, um, I have a secret because I came from an art therapy background working okay. with individuals with disabilities. 
I started out with differentiation. Mm-hmm. And that's why, why you love it, right? Like, cause you saw how yes, good it was. Yes. And even the subtle things like this person only has so much muscle movement in their arm. So they're going to need a very fluid medium in order to make a mark. And this person pushes too hard. So let's give them colored pencils so that they're not done in five seconds. So, you know, that's where I started. So I came into the school school uh, teaching art from that art therapy background. And um, it took a little bit of a shift to go from all about emotions, of course, and working through that sort of thing and shifting to, you know, whatever our topic of the day is. But what I've struggled with is putting in more teaching things and I've really had to learn the um, what's required here because there's a very specific uh, menu, for lack of a better word, that we're supposed to follow, a different structure where we introduce the concept and we say what we're going to do today and we say what our end product is going to be. And we kind of over, you know, just the way they want every teaching, everything when, to be introduced to children. When you say that, they... So, when you say they, do you mean your administrators at the community Montessori, or are you saying this no. Jackson, like Jackson, Tennessee's, like, yes. the, like the that? So there's a pacing guide for visual art. No, there is a way we. There is a very specific. Um, I don't remember the name of it right now, but the very specific uh, thing that you order you you should follow, and everything that should be included in a good lesson. Oh, I see and what it, you're saying. Yes. And so where I'd uh, intuitively done all that before, I had mm-hmm. to kind of learn how to put in place mm-hmm. these things. And there's certain skills that I've really had to overlay on top. So I kind of went backwards where it was uh, it's been a challenge for me to learn um, the presentation part and some different things that go with the art education piece. But differentiation has always been in my heart and mm-hmm. I've always loved it. And I I used to do art therapy uh, groups at all of the elementary schools in our school district okay. uh, contracted through the place where I worked. Um, and so I was very familiar with doing that. And I knew almost all the children in special ed in our district that were in elementary. So, um, cause I had worked with them for years, teaching social skills and expression and all kinds of things. So when I started teaching art and shifted into being their art teacher instead of their art therapist, um, you know, that was interesting for all of us. But I still I still use those skills of um, differentiation. I use them all the time. And um, I use them not only with my children with identified special needs, but with all our children, because, you know, you never know who's neurodivergent in your classroom, you can't always tell, but because they may not have an IEP or a 504, but I can still tell they need it set a different way or, mm-hmm. you know, I could, I monitor and adjust throughout every class and make changes as needed all the time. So. Well, and I, I think the idea of, I, I think that goes back to the idea of that School is perfect except for the kids with 
with like IEPs is like that's so a behavior challenges. Right? Like, yeah. it's like it's like no school is a one size fits all problem for like right. every kid, right? Like even kids who let's say there's such a thing as a kid that's the most suitable, like their their body, brain, chemistry, all that set up to be the most suitable. School is still a generic overlay for that kid like still doesn't meet that kid where she is at right like agreed yes it was a generality for her because it wasn't invented in jackson tennessee for her it was invented all over the place at all these times and so i think that 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 for me was the big gift in learning early in my career about working with kids who were coming who were doing kind of full integration in Metro National Public Schools and not my mm-hmm. expectation I was supposed to work with those kids as well. And they had really great um, one-on-one aids. And so I was able to work with them because what I found is that if I would, if I believed that that were a puzzle to be solved, then that had to mean that every kid in my room was also a puzzle to be solved. Mm-hmm. And that I was constantly, if I believed that I was missing something and was only scratching the surface with that kid with disabilities, I had to also believe that I was only scratching the surface with every kid in the room. And so um, it just was really helpful for me to understand that those skills of like really diving in to that one student needed to happen times the 475 kids that I served, right? And, And how important for you are you good with names? Like, do you know all mm. your, you know all your kids? So how uh, do you how do you? Well, I'm neurodivergent myself, and okay. names is one of those Can things. Can you tell me a little that, bit? About, but when you say neurodivergent, that's the first well, time I've heard uh, that. Term. Can you tell me a little bit more well, about that? Sure. Your neurotypical child is the one whose body and brain is set up to follow all the rules in our culture easily. Okay, okay? and uh, neurodivergent. For me, it means I have attention deficit issues okay. is the, you know, the, you can't see air quotes on a podcast, but you right. get what I'm saying. It's sort right. of, it's the title, um, but it just means that I can pay attention to a lot of things at a lot of, all the time. So I do really well in a classroom full of 20 kids, all with different needs. So that's part of the strength of that. But the other part is <clears throat> that name part, it just doesn't stick. And except for just a few kids, and I don't even know why it sticks for them and not others. And I work on that constantly, constantly. Every class, I write down their names and make a new seating chart every time so I can review that name one more time and go back and look at it during class. Mm-hmm. So, and part of it could be that up until this year, I've had a thousand students at two schools. Mm -hmm. And this year I'm finally down to just a little over 500, which is a little more reasonable Mm -hmm. (laughs) to learn names. Um, But I struggle with names, but I will remember what they do Mm -hmm. just because I can't pull that name out. And I explain it to my kids all the time and they love me anyway. (laughs) Like, you know how everybody's not good at everything. I'm not good at this and I want to be, and I still love you. And they're very accepting. And I think that that is what's interesting. So I am better, much better than you are from the sound of it at remembering those names. 
and mm-hmm. that's a and I work at it and 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 like do that and I value that because I know that the kids value that and so mm-hmm. but it sounds like what you what you do to make up for what you know is something that's important if we if you get called by your name it kids can read that as like, oh, Miss Carp loves me because she remembers my name because my granny remembers Mm -hmm. my name and my auntie and uncle remember my name. And so if she remembers my name, she loves me, right? And what Mm -hmm. you, sounds like what you do as opposed to just saying, oh, I'm not good at it, whatever. Those kids are just gonna have to live with the idea. They don't think about themselves as being one of 500 students. And not only that, they're in the last three years, they're one of 800 students that you've taught because those, those, that class that graduates, you're getting a new kindergarten class and your brain mm-hmm. is still remembering those other parts too. Mm-hmm. And so it's the, 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 the amount's bigger than they even know or don't know, but it sounds like what you do is you let them know, hey, I'm so sorry. This is actually a thing that I can, I'm doing the most I can do about it, but it's probably not gonna shift all that much. And I need you to know that. But I do remember that you drew this, 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 and that. And they're like, oh, cool. Like I can, she has to love me because she can remember the last 27 things that I did. Right. <laughs> that, right. So connected to like kind of the visual, that's really, that's really um, kind of an interesting way in which you've had to kind of, it sounds like you've just been able to to understand that like one kids can handle that kind of information you can express to them like what your issue is and I bet that opens up some kids going like oh mm-hmm. I can't do that either and I don't know how and um tell me a little bit about I know you have a a, a podcast and I know that you mm-hmm. make work and but tell me just about your creative practice um and then like why that's important for you to have a creative practice as a teacher well <clears throat> oh Yes. Uh, when I first read that question, um, I remembered when I was in my 20s and just out of college, um, feeling so guilty because I wasn't making art every day. And can I really call myself an artist if I'm not like in a gallery somewhere or working toward a show or doing something like that? And uh, I eventually came to the understanding that everything I do is creative. Everything I do is colored by how I think about it. Everything from the words I choose to the colors that I choose to wear or what I put in my home or everything. Everything is that I impact in my life um, has creativity. I mean, it's done with creativity and that is being an artist, you know, and it just took me a while to grow into that and to be a little less, a little less uh, shamed, self-shamed, if you will. But, you know, we all learn that in art school, right? Oh, for sure. I was going to say the <laughs> oh, art yeah. world is unusually good at shame. We, we pretend Isn't like it? the art world is, is this play. I have been guilty of assuming that the art world is this space. First of all, we call it the art world as opposed to calling it the art business because that's what it is. The art right. when, we, when we talk about the art world, meaning galleries, museums, studios, we no one says the music world. They say the music right. business, right? Right. And, and it's not to say that art isn't getting made in that space of the music business because it is, but the yes. art world 
is this feeling like, oh, it's this world and there's art everywhere. It's like the land of Dairy Queen on the commercial. And there's just, you know, it's like, there's just art flowing. It's like, no, it's an art business. And, yes. and, we're, and we're particularly good about the shaming. Um, and I'm even realizing now, just from the beginning, we start telling people that only a certain percentage of people are gonna make work after they're out. And we, we use that as this like, so there's only a select few of you in here. And I've been guilty of 10 fingers, 10 toes pointing back at me. So only, there's, only a, there's only an actual chosen few in here. We'll find out who you are, Janie, in about 10 years. As I know. To, as opposed to those people who go to art school and are now doing something outside of it, who feel shame because they're not making work, but are incredibly, incredibly creative and successful in what they do, probably because of art school. <laughs> Right. But we don't want exactly. to give them credit for that because they're not <clears throat> they're not making 22 paintings a year and showing in a gallery because that's what artists do because we've we've created such a narrow idea about what art can be and what is and we wonder why art gets pushed to the side sometimes like mm -hmm. some of it has to be on not we do do it ourselves i mean right. we're the or the ones that originated that idea that mm -hmm. only a few of us will make it <laughs> like it's the olympics or something and the truth is we need beauty and creativity everywhere well and we also talk about we think about for people who are who are who've been to grad school or undergrad who've gotten a degree we talk about what you and i doing as like if we're around friends, if we're in a, if we're in a situation where you and I are hanging out and let's say we're in a group of, it's say, it's, let's say it's me and you, you know, you come up to Nashville mm -hmm. and we're hanging out and there's 10 artists in the room. You and I are two of those 10 and the other eight are studio artists. Somehow mm -hmm. what you and I doing do not only in our own heads, but everyone's head in that room, even if some of them work through it intellectually, the initial thing is like what you and I do is less valuable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Even though almost everyone in the room would agree what you and I do is incredibly valuable and they'll say as such. But that initial thing is like, oh, she teaches elementary school in Jackson, Tennessee. Like, ooh, like, I wonder why. It's a why, rural town. Like, My goodness. What is she doing her, there? Her paintings can't be good. You know, like that, that it's like yes. she's doing that because she can't, right? Let's say that that is even true. It doesn't mean what you're doing is not amazing, right? So I just think that, and when I say that, I, I have a ton of friends who are studio artists who are just like very pro-teacher. I'm just mm -hmm. saying that most of us had to get to an intellectual spot <clears throat> because we were told that silly thing, if you, those who can't do, teach. It's literally- Absolutely. As opposed to like, if you have the passion for it, becoming a teacher could be the most important way in which you could advocate for all of us. Yes. Not to mention the fact that the act of teaching itself is very creative. Brianna Burchell, you know? I was telling you in the, in the pre, in our pre kind of conversation, she said, my creative practice is my classroom. My medium is, is 14 year olds through 18 year olds. And, yes. that, and that's what I do daily. Like I, this, life from the time I wake up to the time to go to bed, whether I'm at going to a gallery um, on Saturdays to, to, to meet an artist that I'm going to ask to come back into the classroom, whether I'm mm -hmm. hanging out at home, <clears throat> watching movies and thinking about the set design and how we can do a project based on that. 
She's like, yes. just because there's not these objects that I'm the author of doesn't not make me someone who has this really important kind of collaborative, creative art practice, which is her space. Well, since this is outreach for Tennessee art educators, I really hope that this conversation could plant the seed that grows and flourishes among uh, art teachers in our state that we can maybe change this or begin to change this dialogue or this concept or this idea. And I, I tell my kids all the time that what they're doing um, will help them later on and it can help you this way or you can do this or you can do that. I Almost every class will point out a job, something that they do or one of the artists we look at and how they've made lots of money doing it this way. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we can do that. We all just did that with that. I'm like, exactly. You can take an idea or a concept and put beautiful colors and use the elements of art and the principles of art and put it all together and make it something lovely. And, you know, this person did this and made a book and now has a whole, you know, I do that all the time with them. So I, I, I just want to stamp out that idea that only a few people make art. Mm-hmm. And only a few people are artists and get and can make a living at it. Mm-hmm. That because it's so not true, you right. know. The pandemic really taught you know the isolation we all felt when we were um, at home during that time. Many of us, I don't know what I would have done without movies, music, podcasts, you know, all of that stuff. Because in that, all of that is art. It's all art. So, you know, I think our whole nation felt that. Yeah. And uh, and it's just another example of how art saved the day. Yes. Art saved the day. That's right. And when are we, right? When are we as a larger culture going to wake up to that and then actually truly Mm -hmm. invest in it, right? And not a not a percent for the arts, like a 1%, which is great that cities do that, where if they build a new building, 1% has to go to a sculpture or mm-hmm. to a, a piece. I mean, that's a that's a great step as a way for public art to not get, um, to not, once when a budget goes over, the, the art doesn't just, the sculpture in front of the building or the project, whatever, doesn't just get, get um, pushed to the side, right? Because it's mm-hmm. this adjunct thing, like, it's great that it gets tied into that, right? Like that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. But um, I would much rather it be those programs be called percentages of art, right? Like instead of a 1% of the art, but I think in schools and in just in our larger culture, th- this, this idea of it's going to be, it's interesting to me. We are so aware of how powerful it is. We have all the data mm-hmm. now. We have just tons of studies. We have the brain research. We know that it works and we just won't put it into play. We just won't do it. And um, when I say we, I mean, as a larger, you know, like culture, Culture. typically, Mm -hmm. I know that there are really cool spots, right? Where you're at there, Mm -hmm. like there's a really cool thing happening. Like you're being valued inside of this, inside of this, inside of this space, which I think is great. 
thinking about podcasts, like how did yours, how did your podcast start? Well, uh, one of the things I'm thankful for that came out of the pandemic was um, time that was unstructured and without having any kind of expectations. I didn't have to be somewhere. I didn't have to do certain things. I just had some blank time. I got a lot of rest in and um, which was great because my body and brain needed some rest. But as I was in that rest mode, my mind started, I don't know, I just started to say, I need to do a podcast. I need to do a podcast and it needs to have some humor and it needs to be um, about what I know, which is art. And I need to do it with Callie Dollar because she's a good friend of mine and she's absolutely hilarious. Everywhere she goes, she brings the party. And um, and she's uh, just so intelligent. And um, she teaches middle school at the school where I teach art. She teaches middle school um, I'm not sure. I know she doesn't teach math, but she teaches like world history and um, that social studies, that side of it. Mm -hmm. But um, and when I approached her, she's like, oh, that would be fun. And we had a little extra time during the summer uh, last year. And we did four episodes of our podcast, Art of Place. And uh, her Her undergraduate, I think, is in, um, oh, she'll say, oh, Janie, you know this, (laughs) Uh, geography. So she's very, very uh, knowledgeable of places and history and how it all works together. And um, I'm interested in art and people. So I want to know the human side of that artist. But I also know that that artist exists within a time and a place Mm -hmm. and they're responding to where they're at and what's going on in their life at that time. And, um, so together we, um, we came up with art of place and just had an absolute ball putting those, uh, together, those four podcasts that we got done. I guess we'll call that season one, putting season one together. And, um, then the reality of teaching during a pandemic, when part of our kids are at home and part are at school and kids are coming and going, all of that kind of hit like a big truck and we had to put it on hold for now. But I'm hoping that we can get some more done this summer and perhaps continue it through next school year since hopefully it won't be so such a difficult year for us. So what I love about it is that it, when I went to the the podcast, I'm like, oh, cool. Like I met you on a, a Zoom call for an art uh-huh. talk and I found out that you taught K middle school. At the time, I think I only thought it was, I thought it was only elementary school. Uh-huh. And then, you know, I see the, the primary color art of place and I'm like, oh, cool. It's going to be this really cool elementary school podcast. And I didn't know in my head, I didn't think, I, I'm, I'm at a spot now in my head where I, I feel like I'm in a good spot where I'm not like, oh, I know exactly what she's doing here. But I saw mm-hmm. it and I thought, oh, cool. This is going to be about like elementary school art, like teaching that. And then the titles of the episodes are Pumpkins, Polka Dots, and Penises. 
And then the second one is killing me not so softly with Colvitz. Is that how you say her last name? Kathy Colvitz? Or? Uh, to Colvitz. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then Beatles, boobs, bathhouses. And, and I immediately was like, oh, this is, this isn't even in the neighborhood of what I said right. it might be, which made me love it even more. Cause I'm like, oh, this is great. Like she's not necessarily sending this. She's not saying, Hey y'all, I got a podcast. Tell your parents about this podcast. Mm-hmm. Not, not <laughs> that you wouldn't tell them. It's just not, that's not what you're going to, it's not intended for those kids ears. This is a professional Agreed. development. Like this is your own personal research that you're doing as right. an adult thinking about art. Um, was that a tough decision for you all? Or did you just go, look, we're going to make this podcast. Some people are going to listen to it. This is not something we're going to necessarily, like, what was that like? Because I think that lots of people balance that a lot of times, especially art teachers, because we find ourselves in spaces that we value what's happening, but can also understand easily how it would be misinterpreted by a parent as saying like, oh, she's not doing something that's necessarily safe for my kiddo. Right, exactly. Well, one thing we decided on the front end is we would keep it clean as far as our language. Sure. You know, uh, even though it would had an adult audience, um, we wanted, you know, whoever came across it, mm-hmm. as long as they were 18 plus, we wanted it to be not offensive in any way sure. as far as our language. But our topic, we knew because we were going to do deep dives into artists and their Mm -hmm. lives, that um, sexuality is part of adults' lives. And it comes out in the art Mm -hmm. and um, it influences their um, art making, even if it's not direct. So um, we just decided it was going to be for adults. And Every now and then, one of my middle school students will come up and say, "Miss Carp, I listen to your podcast," and I'm like, "Okay," because <laughs> I'm like, "You're not really old enough, but that's all right." <laughs> you didn't tell but, them to, um, but I didn't tell them to. Right. I don't know how they found it, and uh, that's okay if they're interested in art and they're looking for art podcasts. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I'll tell you exactly how they found it. Like kids Google our names, and then when they find things, they're gonna find them, right? And your right. name in particular, whereas like Mike Mitchell, like I could easily, even though I don't, like if a kid finds something that I do, one, it's never under Mike Mitchell, unless it's only art education kinds of things. My art name is Mike Wendy. And then I have a character called Cowboy Conceptual. So they very rarely find the actual things um, of, of like art that I'm making. But if they do find, if they did find it, I could easily be like, and, and also, okay. I'm like you, I'm not intentionally putting thing out. I'm not putting anything out there. I don't like stuff on mm-hmm. Instagram that I feel like will be problematic. I just live that life. I just have that old mantra of like, if I wouldn't tell my granny about it, I don't put it online. It doesn't mean that I don't right. have conversations that could get me, mm-hmm. involved, right? Like, I just don't do them online, right? And so, right. Uh, and so, well, we grew up without online, so we know sure. we can do that. <laughs> right. And so, um, you know, but Mike Mitchell's an easy one because there's millions of us, right? Maybe not millions, but hundreds of thousands, right? Or thousands. But Janie Giles Carp, there's probably not a ton of Janie Giles Carps in the world. Right. So if they Googled you and it sent that there, because it's your name's in the podcast notes, right? So that's how they found you. They're like, ooh, she's got a podcast. And then when they saw the titles, they're like, oh. I'm sure probably- at middle school, they're like, 
And then they listened to, listen to it and was like, oh, it's just about art history. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's right. And they are deep dives. I'm I'm only partly into uh, Janie Loves Georgia. Yeah. Um, about Georgia O'Keeffe. And I know a fair amount about her, but I don't know what I'm learning from and, and also just the context and making myself sit down and, and like listen to it on the way to work. And you guys are peeling apart all the little parts about like, man, can you imagine what it was like to be a woman at that time? And, and like thinking about like, you're adding your own overlay of what you're, you're, but then that's like what your perception would be, but then that's also bringing in your co-host understanding of what the actual place and time was like from a historical point. Like it's really, mm -hmm. really, really cool. Um, will you Thank guys you. do a season two? Will y'all do a season uh, two? Well, I hope so. We're planning on it. So and by the way, like I'm, I'm really making myself get better to, to say this, those four episodes are enough, right? Like you. your podcast won't be a failure if you only make those four. Cause I'm starting to think Thank about you. them. Like you've thought about it is like, these are, this is a, we had to stop <laughs> creative, but also it's a creative process. And one of them would be fine. It is one thing is a recorded like episode. That's really good is such a powerful thing that can live mm -hmm. and people can listen to it. And um, do you know the podcast, uh, uh, Jab Ab Abumrad from uh, radio, uh, Radio Lab did with a couple people about Dolly Parton's America. No, so he got. I need to look that up. He got from a from a journalist standpoint, he got kind of unfettered access to Dolly Parton that like no one else would get. So he got he got something like six to eight hours of interview with her. Because, wow! You know when Dolly gave a million dollars for the Moderna vaccination. She did it in Jab Abumrad's dad's name because he was a, he was a doctor who um, she'd gotten in a wreck. And so she went to Vanderbilt and she's one of the most famous humans on the planet. And he was able mm -hmm. to, for whatever reason, she found his way to him and they became friends. Oh, that's awesome. And he, separately from all of this, um, you know, the son is in New York doing Radio Lab, which is just this incredible podcast that's just unbelievable. That was kind of like the standard for NPR podcast. And, you know, says his dad one day said, your mom and I went over to Dolly's house again. And he's like, again, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, well, we're, we're, he's like, are you, and he's like, are you friends with Dolly Parton? And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, have a, they had a ton in common. He grew up in that. This is going to sound really, really, really wild. But in the podcast, it's so good, Janie. She says, your dad and I have a ton in common because he grew up in India. And our, already your brain's like, that's nothing in common with East Tennessee. But she said, we, grew, we both grew up on a mountain. We both grew up poor. And we both grew up with a lot of siblings. <laughs> and she said, when you find someone that has that experience, Yes. It doesn't really matter where that mountain is, what that house looked like, and who those siblings were. You literally understand what their life was like. Yes. And the podcast is un 
believable. So there's a class at UT Knoxville called Dolly Parton's America that a professor teaches. And uh-huh. so they use that name for the podcast and it's only eight episodes. And so that's why, and, and you want it to be a podcast that goes on forever, but conceptually it really does need to be just this little small series, you know? It's like they could keep making Downton Abbey's, but it would eventually not be as good. You know, you have right. to, you know, you could, you could say, all right, there's going to be this many Godfathers or whatever, whatever artwork it is, The Wire, like whatever show that you think about, it's eventually going to be, you know, if Carrie James Marshall makes the same paintings over and over again to please the market, right? the rest of us are going to, who love that work because it challenges like every single thing about the way we think about the world. If he's only pleasing the market, we're going to eventually, you know, like, oh man, we've got we've to we've move somewhere else, but he's going to make work that follows what he's passionate about. So, um, yes. so when I asked you about that, it's a curiosity. It doesn't mean that, it's, that it needs more than that. Like, I'm just really- Well, excited. I feel like it does. Oh, good. I, I want more. And um, one of the things you ask about are my creative practice. And one of them is I go to an art museum at every or art gallery exhibit, whatever, at every opportunity. Mm-hmm. If I'm traveling somewhere, the first thing I'm going to do before I even get my Airbnb is look and see where the local gallery or art museum is mm-hmm. and what's showing and get tickets. What, so, what space did you go into that surprised you the most in, a, in, a, in any given city? Like for me in Charleston, the, the art museum there, was unbelievable because I was a little, my wife and I were there. We'd always wanted to go to Charleston, but when we got there, the old South is celebrated just a little too much for my taste. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. Like, it's just kind of like, wow, like this is, um, and then we walk into the art museum and the first panel you see in the art museum says, this space has always been a white space. This space has never been very supportive of, of the black artists from Charleston this space, um, it's important that you understand. And this is a big panel. It's the first thing you see. Um, this space wants to recognize that um, the amount of artists that were living in Charleston at the time of this work, we believe was greater than the representation that's here and that they just never got the same resources as the white artist. And I'm just yes. like, okay, outside of this space, like it doesn't seem like anyone's talking about it, but for me in that particular space, mm-hmm. I found this surprise that I did not expect. Have you found not necessarily one about particularly about race or about um, privilege or anything, but have, has there just been a surprising like museum that you found that you just didn't know about? Um, well, traveling? gosh, um, there's so many there's, and I think they're all wonderful in their own way. Um, I do have, the first thing that came to mind was when I visited the Dallas Museum of Art um, a few years ago, and it had been a hectic travel, and I was there for a conference, and I had a certain amount of time before I had to be somewhere three or four hours, so I'm like, I'm going to go do this, and I'd been particularly, like, personally stressed, and I walked in there, and I felt this calm come over me, it felt spiritual, like a church um, to me. And I just, I was able to take a deep breath 
and enjoy that time viewing other people's um, artistic expressions, some famous, some not. And I think that was just one of the most impressive feelings that I had when I walked into um, an art uh, space. And I, so that really has stuck with me, even though that's been several years. Um, there's two others and they're both local in Tennessee. Um, of course, the Frist is a beautiful building and it's an old post office. And I like wandering around the office parts because they have artwork there too. A lot of times done by children. And I love seeing what other art teachers have done and what the what they've offered and what the children have done with it and in this beautiful environment. And it really is a beautiful environment to have art, art in. And, um, and I really enjoy, every time I go to the Frist, I enjoy it. Um, I just recently uh, got to see the Picasso exhibit. That was amazing. I enjoyed that a lot. It's still there for till the first part of May. Only, um, only if you have tickets though. Like I can't get in cause it's sold out. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Do, do you, you live near Nashville, don't you? I'm a member and I live there, but like it's sold out. Oh my gosh. You know, I got tickets on Easter Sunday. <laughs> Those were the only tickets I could get <laughs> so, for Easter Sunday. Um, and the other one is the Dixon Gallery and Gardens in Memphis. Oh, yeah. oh do you know who talk you're, about a spiritual place? Do you know who you're following is um, on the podcast is um, is Margarita Sandino, who's the director. Oh, I love Margarita. She's wonderful, wonderful. I just adore her. Uh, she actually hired me to do some art therapy there with um as part of their community outreach speaking mm -hmm. of outreach yep. i said i struggled with that word but um but you're doing it constantly which is great <laughs> apparently it's just, it's, just the, it's just that it i think that it's been tainted with the marketing that you were talking about prior to the mm -hmm. to me pressing record is that right which was always a coded word for go market this program and right. outreach that you and I are talking about is reaching out beyond ourselves to allow yes. others into this beautiful thing that we call the art ecosystem that we all want to share. Oh, I like art ecosystem better than art world. I've been, I've been using ecosystem for the last year. I can't remember. I, it's not my invention. I heard someone say it. Um, and then I was just like, I like it because that's it. That's true. It's like, if I'm toxic in the ecosystem, I'm going to make <sighs> your ecosystem unhealthy. And yes. by saying it as an ecosystem, for me, it helps me remember that I need to not be poisoning this place. I need to be feeding this place. And I need to, because and it's about connectivity. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. How healthy I am is going to help you be healthier. If you're healthy, it's going to help me yes. be healthier. If Margarita's healthier, yes. it's going to help us all be healthier. And so like, and, and the idea of that, we, when we talk about it as an ecosystem, it becomes an environment. It becomes a place that we can talk about as reclaiming these, you know, and Mel Chen taught us that with his work is that you can actually use plants to pull poisonous metals out of the ground. And so we actually can reclaim areas of toxicity um, in an environment, in an ecosystem, instead of just going, 
hey, you can't undo the art world. It's just how it is. And like, you know, like it's just gonna yeah. it's like, no, I think that's what the Frist has done. What I love about it is that it has done that, you know, it's this space. They've re they, they, the parts about the Frist that I really love and value is that they brought this building back. And my initial mm -hmm. response was one of cynicism of like, you're bringing back this art deco space. That's this very white space and a space that was never welcoming to very many people in Nashville who weren't, didn't look like me. And for listeners, I'm 6'2", 250 pound white male. But what's been really fascinating is folks like Katie Delmay, the curator at the Frist, is bringing lots and lots and lots of work made by people that do not look like me and do not identify the way that I do in relationship to their sexuality. Like they're really, that name that, that was on the building, like the, I think there was initially this not with me, I just in general, like it's this a conservative family that supported this, but you know, we're learning that conservative family is supporting lots of really cool things that we all are valuing, right? And, mm -hmm. and they also, I'm learning more, they gave that money and then got out of people's way and said, hey, creatively, that's y'all's to do. And so that's been really, for me, that's been a part that I really value about that space is that it is, yes, there are those blockbusters, the Picassos and the car shows, but those things put the bill for those other things that are in there that are really great. But but Margarita seems like she's really doing that at the Dixon as well. And in our yes. podcast, we talked about that. It's been a tough thing for her to try to um, not make the Dixon go away, but actually just make the Dixon be a place that is for everyone in, in Memphis. And it has yes. not been that space yet. Yes. Yeah, anything Margarita's involved with, I, I'm interested in. So, but I'm, I'm very grateful they have her. She does have a very powerful voice, and she represents um, intersectionality um, of different, the intersection of several different things, and she brings it all to Memphis. And also just the idea that it's the gardens and they're doing all those cooking things and the gardening stuff. And that instead of just saying, oh, the gardens in relationship to like old fashioned, like British gardens. And that's this thing that's basically just art with plants. She's going, no, 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 it's gardens. We're going to, when you said intersectionality, like she's saying, how can we broaden, right? Like how can we broaden what this yes. place should mean? Right. And you would have to think, so for rich folks who lived in that space at one point, it's likely they were on the kind of artistic edge of their other group of rich folks. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe they would, if they lived in 2021, would have evolved into such a position where they would have thought that Margarita should be doing exactly what she's doing, right? Yes. Saying, hey, get rid of all those silver cups. I mean, you don't have to throw them away, but like, those can't be the only thing that we want people to see. Like, let's, let, and, or, and let's give it the context that it deserves about like, what right. does this mean? Because while folks were drinking with silver, right? The, there were other folks in this town that had different metal that was part of their lives. And those were chains around their ankles. And let's talk about that too. And that's mm -hmm. seemingly the conversation that she has um, been really just tenacious enough to kind of take on in, in a, in a, I mean, in a place like that, in a city like Memphis, and, and seems to be really beloved in that space. And they seem to really mm -hmm. like value, value her and understand that She's having those tough conversations out of love. Like she loves that place, right? She's not yes. having it to try to 
embarrass anyone and shame anyone, right? Even if embarrassment and shame are going to be part of the conversation, it's not right. The end point is, is that can the Dixon be this place that has been the best version of itself? Yes. In 2021. And that it can, as opposed to saying like, well, the Dixon is, because that place could have existed exactly like it was in perpetuity. And it still would have Mm -hmm. probably limped along and been able to do its thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, 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 if visitorship would have kept dropping, right, because the older white folks just like phased out of like who's going to support it, it probably could have gotten a big national registry grant kind of thing. And eventually, at least it could have been saved in some capacity. But mm-hmm. her vision to say, hey, if we want it to be this place that serves the city, right, mm-hmm. right we're going to have to do what you do, right, which is to say, hey, the lesson is the Dixon but we're going to have right. every single place come to us and some are going to be in wheelchairs and some are going to have only a limited amount of use in this hand. And some of them are going to be neurodivergent in this way. And some of them are going to be like neurotypical, but like all of them need to come. Like we only have one lesson, which is the Dixon, right? Like this is mm-hmm. the, the structure, but what can we do inventive about that and letting kids come to this place and the, just her ability to kind of see the vision and, like struggle through that was really that episode was really fun and I was just like really excited to get to talk to her well I can't wait to go back and listen to it so excellent um gosh the creative practice probably the the other thing and this is I always say this and and I feel like I need to qualify it because probably one of my hobbies listen probably it definitely is one of my hobbies that I enjoy very much is thrifting. Okay. And, um, and that doesn't sound artistic, but I get a lot of um, inspiration from seeing things that have been cast away. And, um, and I see it in uh, just all kinds, like whatever it is, this plate or this, ladder or a blouse or a scarf or whatever, um, I can just be spend an hour in a thrift store and feel and come out filled up mm-hmm. as far as creative ideas. It's not terribly and, different from the art museums, right? Yes, it is. A, but it's like a living thing of stuff people have right now that they uh, you know, are casting away or giving away. They don't need it anymore. And so I can look at it that way or I can look at it. And, I, and sometimes I get this, I'm very empathic and intuitive. And I get this sense from looking at something of what the person's life must have been mm-hmm. like, you know, or something like, oh, this belonged to someone who did this sort of thing or this was happening. And so I get those stories happening in my head too. And, um, you know, there's colors and textures and different design. It's just, I really enjoy it a lot. And I like to do found, found collage art mm-hmm. type things. And that informs a lot of it. So sometimes um, I'm only in the collecting mode. Like I'm going to collect this and let it germinate and see what comes from it. And sometimes all I'm collecting is ideas mm-hmm. or inspiration as I go through that space. And sometimes I collect a bargain. 
because I you, need a pan and there's one. <laughs> are you familiar with Turnip Green Creative Reuse in Nashville? One of my favorite places in the whole wide world. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Huge fan. I would love to have a place like that here mm-hmm. or in Memphis, you know, something close. Yeah. I would love to do it. I even, I have a whole business plan and model ready when you have uh, someone that will fund it for me um, <laughs> and get it going. I know how to keep it going once it gets started. I just need a little well, start. I have to talk to Kelly and Leah and Jennifer who uh, oh. work at that place too. Uh, to, who are, when I say work there, that, those are, Kelly's a board member, founder. Leah's the, um, I think the, executive director and Jennifer is the like day-to-day manager. Um, I'm involved with the, with turnip green at a couple different levels, most of which is just being a fan of it and like getting to like go and shop there or take stuff there, but also I've gotten the opportunity to kind of advocate on their behalf. And then Uh I've been collaborating with them through some of these talks. I think the first talk that you came to was a turnip green number magazine. It was. And educators cooperative, um, kind mm-hmm. of try collaborative for, for that talk. And so, um, yeah, so that place is just, is really incredible. Um, do you yes, speak of found objects and do you know Billy Tripp's work in Brownsville? I don't. Brownsville's just down the road for me. Well, there's a 70 foot tall by 50 foot wide by 150 foot deep sculpture there. Yes, I have heard of this. I haven't seen it, but um, I know of it. How's it that? looks like a power? <laughs> it looks like a power plant. I met him in the Excellent. 90s. I met him in the 90s. I haven't talked to him in a long, long time, but I got to know him well enough for him to not chase me off his property. Um, oh, good. <laughs> but it's right next to, and at the time it was Napa Auto Parts, but it's literally like feet away, maybe 10 feet away from a store, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, my first question to him was like, how does the, how is this here? Like yes. it, you can see the courthouse from there. Like, how did you get a permit to do this? And, and the answer is like, well, my dad's pretty well known. And I mean, it was just one of those things that just, it grandfathered in is like the, you know, it is, it is, you know, it's like, there's no way it could happen again in, in any city. Yeah. Like there's just no way. Yeah. I mean, he's, I don't know that he's having to get building permits to weld these 40 foot drill bits that stick up, that spire up into the air. I mean, it, it is very, very interesting, but it is a monumental version of what you and I do with found objects mm-hmm. because yes. he, he doesn't use any, as far as I know, he doesn't use any of the like metal pieces. I'm sure some of the bolts and things to attach and also just like welding rods and the, like there's a small percentage uh, that seems like he might reuse, but most of it is reclaimed. There's a, right. for, there's a forestry tower that's I think 70 feet in the air. Um, you know, and, wow. and I'm sure there's a, there's gotta be just a, in Brownsville, like wherever the high school, there has to be an issue where they're just like, don't go up there. Because if I'm a kid right. and I'm 16, I'm like, I'm going to climb that tower. That's just, of course that, you that, are. That, that, that's on my bucket list of things to do before I graduate. <laughs> exactly. And I'm, jump I'm, down from it. Probably. I'm going <laughs> to climb that tower, you know? Um, <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, that just made me think of it. So we, I'll have we, to um, go see that. 
Yeah, we've really, really cr- seen. It's, it's really cool. Um, he's also written at least one novel based off of the sculpture. Cool. Um, I'm going to check his, that out. His studio is on Mindfield Alley, which I'm pretty sure isn't a real street name, but he put up a street sign that looks like it's a real street sign. I mean, it says mine mind, or mind mind field, like a, I'm sorry, mind okay. field, like a, like landmine, like a minefield. Okay. Alley. And then the, the novels are called minefield alley. I have volume one, oh, which, a, thank which, you, which makes me think that. there's going to be a volume two, but, um, so, uh, well, Hey, yeah. we cruised past an hour and you'd mentioned being, I can't grateful, believe it. Grateful for Margarita. So let's finish this up with the object that you're grateful for a person that you're grateful for and a place that you're grateful for. So let's start with an object. Well, um, I am grateful for this. The best I can come up with it is this classroom uh, that I'm sitting in right now. And because we're on Zoom, you can see the background, but um, of course, our listeners can't. You can see big, some of our Egyptian art. The big classroom, the big space. It's a it's a lovely space. And last year they had to uh, use my uh, art classroom as a regular classroom. And instead of perpetually putting me on a cart, they built a new classroom for me. Oh, and wow. that's nice. I and that really. Well, for, I say for me, it's for the students, but I feel valued because of sure. it. So that's what I mean. So I'm very grateful for this. And technically, I guess that's a place instead of a thing. But um, I'm well, just grateful for that. Well, let's talk about that. That also that classroom looks like it's fully stocked. I see two paper cutters. I see a maybe one mm-hmm. of those bookmaking binding things. I see. Um, laminator laminator so light table so it is a room full of lots of stuff that you need to 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 do the thing that that we want yes engaged in making and um our principal uh told me this year that she is committed to us having a kiln for next year because we haven't had one and uh so i'm really excited about the future for that so we can do that and and just i guess the play the the place would be my environment where I work. Okay. It's so supportive of the arts and uh, and children. And because they're so supportive of children and we know the arts work so well to grow children into responsible adults um, and help them along their learning and growing path, art is also valued because of its impact. And I, I and I'm attached to the arts, so therefore I'm valued. And um, that is just a beautiful place to be. Um, so, and you asked me about a person. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter, um, her name is Joya. And she, I am so grateful for her because I wouldn't be in this environment if it weren't for her. I took this job so that she could come to the school and um, and she just um, brightens every day of my life. So, you know, that I just have to say I'm grateful for to get to be her mom. And um, 
so it was a place and a thing and a yeah, person. You, you got it. I think we got him. We got, got it. it. Well, <laughs> I'm grateful for you. And I know that you're, and I'm grateful that you are your daughter's mom because she certainly is a lucky kid. And, oh, thanks. Um, and, um, and I'm just grateful for those kids at the community of Montessori that they have you as their teacher and you. your fellow, um, your fellow, um, teachers have you there as a colleague and I'm also just grateful that you are in the ecosystem that we share and I'm just super excited about continuing to connect with you and connect you to other folks and I'm really just grateful for that you took this time to talk to us today so um, oh it's my pleasure and I'm grateful that you invited me thank you so much and thank you all for listening to another episode of the art of outreach and Janie where can they find you online and their podcast um Hmm. I tell you what, why don't I send that to you and, and you I'll put can it put in, it in the show notes. notes. Yep. So, yes. um, so I'll put Janie's I Instagram and the, yes. the podcast in the show notes. And so, okay. um, well, have a great rest of the day and thank you again. Thank for you. The time, you too. And we'll definitely stay in touch and, uh, and go Absolutely. see Billy Tripp's sculpture down in Brownsville. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll tell him you sent me. <laughs> uh, I'll do it. All right. Have a great, have a great day. Bye.